Hello. Hello. Welcome to episode two of the No Opinion podcast. For this episode, we're joined by um, Biome Collective, who we just recently worked with on VNA Dundee's um, launch event, which was called Hello World. And um, in that, we, we chat about uh, the project. Um, so it's probably worth checking out the Behance page that we have for it that you can find over on behance.net forward slash agency of none. Correct. Yep, a few. <laughs> uh, and then click the Hello World project on there and you can see some images and some bits from the project. Or you can just go to the show notes. The link will be in there as well. Nice and easy. Um, so the first person that you'll hear talking is Tom DeMaio, who is one part of Biome Collective. Biome Collective are actually a, a group of different game developers, artists, working in a space, a co-working space. Um, but for this project, it was mostly Malabas and Tom DeMaio that we were working with. And it's the two of them that we chat to. Who are the, the sort of founding members of, of Biome? So they work in games, art. Um, digital experiences, technology, audio, um, yeah, and audio as well. So they've done, like they they lit up the, the steeple in Dundee for light nights with an interactive installation, and they've done Kill a, box, yeah, which is a, a sort of game looking at drone warfare, um, a sort of installation type game to sort of question the nature of drone warfare. So they've done a whole wide range of sort of interactive um, experiences and large scale projects. So that gives you a little bit of context to to who they are. And we chat about um, our project there and then it kind of develops into a little chat about art and design and the, the differences between the two, um, which is part of the, the second episode that we've also got. Uh, so yeah, we sort of decided that the, the topic was too interesting just to, to leave it there. So we wanted to bring in a whole bunch of other voices to get some other thoughts and opinions on, on that sort of stuff. Um, so we did two things um, for the, the second episode which is episode number three, just to be particularly confusing. We uh, set up a chat with Beth Bate, the director of DCA in Dundee, Dundee Contemporary Arts. Um, and also we uh, spent some time in the V&A itself, actually uh, recording um, some young people and some other people that were coming through um, to talk to them about what they felt design was and what the differences between art and design was and if there's a line between that and just trying to explore that topic a bit further, um, which was really interesting. It's probably also worth just a, a wee bit of a disclaimer on the episode that when we when we do mention V&A, we do mean V&A Dundee, um, just to, to not be too confusing about the V&A in Kensington and London. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's just the way we refer to it here. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's it. That's all the setup. Let's, um, let's get into the episode. Yeah, so VNA Dundee got in touch with us fairly recently, and that's when, I guess, in isolation, they spoke to us about what we could do, and that's when we first learned that you guys were involved as well. I feel like I'm just kind of bringing us up to up to <laughs> speed here, and uh, we were individually asked to to be involved, but collectively we decided it would be better to work together. Um, to create something. I think what we felt was, I mean, from, from our point of view, it was like, well, you know, if you're going to have 
two different things going on, one in the gardens and one in the the, the building itself, then we need to, to kind of connect them up and then make mm. make it more make make it feel like more of a same event or you know, so the visuals on the screens or the the merchandise in the stalls or anything like that all kind of ties together and and feels like a uh, you know feels like a an event rather than several small events within a an event yeah so there used to be a coherence and a consistency and an mm-hmm. aesthetic that runs through everything i think that was our thinking about it anyway. well yeah you say that and i think that's the kind of thing that for you that's quite natural and for us it's quite natural you want this kind of um almost like a theme i suppose or a, f- mm-hmm. a feeling that's translated through everything but i think that was a genuine surprise for some other people um yeah, I kind of felt that. <laughs> yeah, but I think in a way, what one of the things I've liked about this process is that this idea of different people working together to make the same, to, to, to make something, to use your word, cohesive, is quite a good indication of our um, intention and desire in Dundee as, I don't know if it's a Dundee thing, but there's definitely a lot of will to collaborate and w- make uh, make new things from so I think there's there's a feeling that you guys see yourselves as much more from a design background and you like you asked you were talking about before like maybe we're not maybe we're more arts um, but I think this is a good opportunity to to show how these things are kind of when they come together it doesn't really matter what the, the labels are it's just people willing something amazing to happen and making it work in whatever way they can I think it was an easy jump, the, the kind of the idea to collaborate, just because at that stage we'd kind of we we were involved in a few meetings with a broader team, and we'd shared early ideas about the direction we were going in, and for us we'd all for buying we'd always kind of focused primarily on the building and expanding out, whereas you guys your focus was a bit more on Celestia Gardens, mm. you know ge- you know generally speaking. And it was just like an easy fit. It was just it was like, well, that makes sense. Let's put these th- two things together. Um, and it makes me think of later on in the project when uh, we, we there was a chance to actually work with uh, Jim Lambie. And I think there was a willingness from everyone, from us, Jim, his team. But I think just the, what, you know, the, the timing when that happened and the fact that he's outside Dundee, et cetera, it just made that kind of impossible at the time, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that was probably one of my most disappointing moments on it was that we didn't get to do that collaboration with him. And I think I think we were all at that point as well. There was a lot of there's a lot of well, I think I did, I think shortly after that everything got quite chaotic in the sense of like time, you know, to get everything ready and 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 video stuff and other bits and pieces. Um, so in a way, it probably it, it was probably helped to not have to do that but it was mm. but it was um it would have been really good to to have done it i think um, yeah it felt like an opportunity to kind yeah. of spread the collaboration out of dundee mm-hmm. and to work with jim lambie which would have been awesome a yeah a bit closer yeah um it was nice to it was nice to meet him um, mm. and have a chat but it, it would have been really nice to have done something more connected to to what he was doing i mean i think in the end what he did on the screens and what they did on the screens was really good and mm. i was actually quite surprised how you know i guess how quickly like 
that was turned around in the way and, and, and produced. It was uh, from, you know, knowing the time frames that we were all working to, mm. it was quite uh, quite good that they'd got that together. And, and I think one of the things that I, I got from the Jim Lambie stuff was a kind of immense pride that he'd used the palette that we'd provided mm-hmm. in some of his video. I just wasn't expecting that because mm-hmm. it was so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd really had a good chat with him and I think he really dug our approach. He was really into the way that we were working together and that we'd kind of created this template, if you like, you know, this visual language that we developed. And I think he really wanted to plug in, um, but we were all constrained by time. But just just that little shift that he made to include the palette and use some of that, um, that was great to see. I think that's a really important thing as well. It's not to, like, like when we talk about like all the collaboration and doing things and you, you, there's lots of really deep areas where you can work on and collaborate and but actually some really simple things that you can do that make things work well and and actually that's that that palette that color palette having a color palette that everybody kind of works to you know whether whether they like it or not you know is kind of is always a good thing to kind mm. of tie it together because color can be such a subjective thing mm. and you can you can you know one person's idea of a nice color palette is somebody's idea of the worst color palette in the world but mm. but mm. actually if you if you pull it all together and work with it, it it can create something quite quite cohesive in a very simple way um and i think that's that's something that was quite nice out of i think we did kind of get that and i think we you know a lot of it was dictated by from our point of view it was dictated by the kind of materials we could use for 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 what we were trying to do with the like when doing the light beacons and everything that were in in ancestral gardens and we were using el wire to do that and that comes in very only very limited range of colors mm. um and some of them uh are, are just look like you're going to some sort of you know 1980s 90s rave in a forest <laughs> and it's like you want to kind of maybe make something a little bit more sort of sophisticated and i always had that in the back of my head about um and i think we wrote this in our original proposal and i never really mentioned it much since was a. Uh, that we kind of wanted to connect <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a strange way. We wanted to connect bits of Japan and the sort of Shinjuku sort of area around where, where the Kuma Associates uh, um, uh, studios are based uh, with Dundee and kind of create that sort of colour palette that kind of comes out of there. And that's that's kind of, that was kind of the, um, the EL wire kind of helps with that because a lot of that stuff is like neons and mm. you know, these sort of things. So uh, yeah. I think that's an interesting... Um sort of observation and in some ways excuse me in some ways I'm really glad that you guys were working with a lot of light because um we we tend to work on screens a lot and I think you guys work a a bit more with print and so your color palettes are often more subtle than uh, a lot of the stuff that you see on screen and we knew we were working with light on the building and so we knew there was going to there are certain colors that are more effective using light and uh you know uh, color in darkness and i think um there was a while at the beginning where it felt like there might be a divergence in the colors that we'd use because we knew we'd be going to be working with lights we weren't sure about um, the kind of colors that you would select for print so the fact that you guys eventually went with ELY and that had a kind of effect on the constraints that you had color wise, it really helped us to kind of, uh, it helped to kind of have a, a palette that was appropriate for the lighting that we used and the lighting that you guys used and all the colors that went through. And that was kind of like a happy accident in a way. Well, I think I think one of the, when we were doing the print stuff originally, because one of the ideas we had was was quite print 
print-based, um, but it didn't happen like that. And one of the things we were looking at using at the time was the sort of neon Pantones range, mm. which um, we've used before on on um, uh, drinks labels. And it, it has this like really, uh, you can get the ones that react really well under UV light, uh, um, or they are UV reactive. And we were really looking like at how you print with those and how you could use them and turn something outdoors, you know, for example, lots of people wearing a, a piece of clothing with that color on it, but you wouldn't be able to see the 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 the, the intensity of that color um, mm. until they were hit with a UV light. Yeah. Um, and it's like how you how you could play with that. It mm. Didn't we didn't end up going with that uh, for various reasons, but it, it was something we were sort of looking at as well. Um, you know, so trying to get that intensity of color into mm. into print. So mm. I mean, I'd quite like to go back to. The, the sort of brief and the constraints that we were working within and then talk about how that idea evolved and changed and some of the iterations that we went through yeah. that then couldn't happen. Because mm. um, I, I realise we're talking quite generally about the, the overall <laughs> output, but we've not really explained the journey and how we got there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I'd so really like to hear your, what your original brief was, actually, because I don't think we ever knew what it was. <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> I can't well, remember well, either. I think it was just similar to yours. It was, it was you know, uh, it was look at what you could do with um, uh, for the launch event and think big and come up with an event that was, like, good for social media and, and uh, that sort of... Uh, but I think, I mean, we had the parameters of... Um, I mean, there, there was a simple minds gig which could not be moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the stage had to be set in a... Sp- specific position mm. um, at the Caird Hall side um, when that decision came about and that they were going to have to reuse the stage from the, the previous gig the week before so they couldn't move that what wasn't going to happen is we weren't going to be able to have the stage and the V&A in the same viewport of the crowd um, and at some point we're going to have to turn people around to focus on the building so that was another sort of consideration and restraint on the, on the brief um, and it sort of led us down the route of looking at, okay, well, how do you make a crowd move? How do you change the positioning? How do you actually get them to swivel? How do you create things in the space that help you to do that as well? Um, so that sort of became a, a part of the, the brief and the, the consideration for it. But even going before that, I don't think um, Slesser Gardens wasn't even um, a thing for us at the very beginning. Like, I, I guess in my mind, the original uh, concert was going to be literally at the V&A, you know, uh, underneath the arch or something in that kind of space. And and so the idea of environmental stuff, which is where you guys were, were kind of focusing, at the beginning I thought it was all going to be around there. And then it turned out that, um, you know, for for all the legal reasons and health and safety and, and uh, all the complex stuff that we don't know how to organise, um, but other people do, yeah, it had to be Slesser Gardens, and then you had all that walling. So, so that was a huge deal. That shift in kind of going from just the V&A to to Slesser Gardens. You must have been involved before us because I think at the point we came into it, it was very much a festival that they were pre- creating, right. and music was very much a part of that. And Slesser Gardens was a big part of that. And the idea of ten thousand people was already kind of the the, the concept of crowd numbers. Um, uh, so that's that's mm. kind of when we you know our initial thoughts were how can you how can you work with that sort of mm. crowd of people and create something where they feel involved in it um mm. uh, and and you know some of our original ideas that were probably a bit too ambitious for what we were what what we what we could do were involving you know every single person in the audience in some form yeah um and 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 it's kind of hard because like 
I think for one of the things looking back on it retrospectively, and we went to we went to several different gigs over the the period of working on this, everything from steps <laughs> to um, to simple minds, um, and then finally you know primal scream and stuff to to kind of see how that space was used yeah. for different types of events and different types of audiences, and it's it's actually it's so hard to work with a crowd that's there for for a, a music gig rather than a crowd that's there for say a design festival if that makes sense yeah and and it's it it, it, it I, i'm still kind of i don't know if our original idea which i always really liked and, and wished i could have done how it would have worked in that audience having now seen the whole thing because that's yeah. that's one of the big unknowns is like you're you're working in this scale in this this sort of way that you've never worked before i mean how many people work on a project that involves you know ten thousand people in a very condensed space mm. it's, it's, it's something you don't probably get very many times in your in your in your lifetime well i, I think that's i think that's right in in uh traditional design circles maybe but I think that's one of the, the good things about a project like this is that it opened up what people consider design uh, and changed the kind of parameters of which like design is experienced. And so um, it's definitely unusual for us. But obviously, if you're working in festivals and concerts, it would be your normal job. Yeah. yeah. So, But I think what's good about this, what was good about this project is it gave us an opportunity to to look at it from our perspective uh, have our ideas about what could be done, realize that we are wrong about a whole bunch of stuff mm. and then kind of reiterate, uh, well, iterate on those ideas. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, you know, that's that's what design is as well. It's that process of going through uh, ideas and, and, and basically being critical about them and, and looking at everything around and kind of stripping things back or adding things or changing mm. things until you've got the best best possible thing that you can have in that, in a... In a, in a, in a, a in the time you've got <laughs> within the budget. I think um, from the original point of contact to that first meeting with the VNA team, there was definitely, you know, we knew it was, a, it was a gig of sorts. We knew it was going to be around Celeste Gardens, but the stage detail wasn't quite there. Because I think we always thought, oh, the stage is going to be there and the VNA is going to be right next to the stage. You know, they'll be all close. But I think there was a first actual meeting when we went through the details of, you know, oh, the likelihood it's going to be by Kurt Hall, etc. And in a way, I think that strengthened our hand because it put more focus on our proposal of focusing on the building. Because in a way, I remember in that conversation, we were like, so what about the building? Because we're like, so people are actually looking away from the building yeah. all night. like, And they were like, yeah, exactly. We want to have the moment. Mm. And that's when for us, the moment was, was person introduced. And that was the idea of how do you have this kind of this point in time when everyone looks at the building, uh, they take their selfies, etc. And it was uh, it was quite daunting at first, actually, because it was talked about like, no, guys, this is it. <laughs> this is the moment. Yeah. The whole point of the evening is about the moment. Uh, can you take care of that yet? <laughs> We're like, OK, that's cool. We can we can figure that out. Which on one hand was what we wanted to do but all of a sudden it, we, I think all of a sudden became like you said this quite a high pressure kind of moment instead of it being an organic part of the evening it became mm. like this kind of special event but I think what what was what I liked about working with you guys well one of the things I liked is that we I think we all had a very similar um, 
intention, which was to to celebrate the building as part of Dundee. So it wasn't separating the building as some special thing apart from Dundee and the people in Dundee, but it was kind of um, bringing them together in some way and connecting them. So, you know, the idea of, of um, one group of artists and designers doing stuff in in the surrounding space and one group of artists and designers doing something with the building itself. Um, that I think the nice thing about the collaboration is that we brought those two different things together. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it was a nice little microcosm of the whole whole event really. And really for us at that point, it, it made it easy for us because we had three quite distinct ideas about the building. Mm. And you know, one of them was in, in some ways an iteration of our playable architecture project. Yeah. Where and even in that project, this never actually happened. With the plan was to put kind of almost like playable devices around the building, kind of button interfaces, so people would, could somehow interact you know, and invite large groups. And a bit like that. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how we'd manage that, but that was the kind of general idea. But because um, at that initial meeting, it was like, well, these are the parameters, you know, stage, etc the moment, et cetera. For us, it was like, okay, well, let's just focus on the building because that is clearly something, you know, we can work with that. And at that stage, we're, you know, there was a broader collective conversation and your ideas were coming through and it was clear that there was space for both to coexist. And I think, I think the VNA team realized that too. And I think that's when they then gave, you know, essentially they gave, there was a door open for collaboration and we were like, yeah, absolutely. This makes total sense. Because uh, I think, I remember, yeah, from their point of view, it was like, okay, well, you guys do that bit, an agency non do that bit. Is that cool? And we're like, yeah, but how about we actually talk? <laughs> and, you know. I think we were having similar similar discussions with them as well. And think about why, why, why don't we work with Bound Collective if they're mm. going to be working with uh, lights and, and that. Because our initial thought was, yeah, you know, we want to extend the building out of where it is and into mm. the into the audience into mm. the crowd um so through through you know using a visual sort of you know language for for lack of a better term um you know, we would we would reinterpret the building uh the shapes of it and and turn it into something that could could be applied in different ways through the audience and through different areas so that they there was a connection back from from the audience to the to the building um i realize i'm turning my head away there while i'm talking it's probably not good. <laughs> um but yeah, it uh, and and that made sense. When, I mean, we initially thought everything except the building. You know, that was like like you know we thought like if we if we we thought you know the building is a piece of architecture that has been created by by you know a large practice and this is their moment for it. And it's like we thought like it just needs to light. Uh, it doesn't matter how it lights. It just needs to light. And, you know, we don't need to get involved with that. And it's, it's it, you know, we could actually extend everything beyond the building and into the audience. Um, but we weren't looking at it as sort of, the, you know, as a big moment, as a sort of switch on moment. It was more like, how does the whole event feel mm -hmm. part of that, that, that building? Mm -hmm. um, so it was only when we started speaking with you guys and you were already down the route of, you know, lighting the building that it all you know the nails start to kind of start to fall in to place of how we turn the audience around and etc etc because i think one of the real key points in it was when you guys introduced the concept the um close encounters of a third kind concept so you are, i mean how did that how did that come about 
Um, <laughs> that came about as a as a, a narrative tool to communicate the idea of something non-human and something human communicating, um, which to is kind of themes that we've we've had running for a while now. So one of my favorite pastimes is to make buildings sing in some form or another. Uh, I love the idea that architecture has a, a kind of almost like a soul or a spirit or characteristics. And I, I love the idea of people's relationship with the buildings and their surroundings is a bit more connected. Sometimes I feel like because something is inorganic, it can often be seen as um, dispassionate, something that is separate from you. And I like the idea of of uh, creating some kind of space where you and something else using um, a non-verbal language communicate, can communicate in new ways and have a relationship in new ways. And so the idea of a singing building was one thing, but then to try and communicate that to, to people is like quite strange for some people, I guess, um, and can take a lot of time to explain. And I think the great thing about Close Encounters, which was hilariously, in my mind, is kind of a big film moment in my life, but to most of the people we spoke to, they were too young to know, to have even heard of it. it that really helped to age me. Um, but it was a really good way to kind of put the idea forward of something um, non-human, I suppose, communicating with someone human and having a common language. And I think the nice thing about using visual language and sonic language um, is that it, 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 it bridges cultures and it bridges societies. Um, and go on, go no, ahead. No, I was just sorry, I thought you were finished there, but um, I was going to just say that um, you just mentioned something that's actually quite important as well that we should really chat about, which is the, you know, the involvement of the Young People's Collective mm. in this. And, and you know, when you're saying that maybe people didn't understand what Close Encounters were, I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming those those people were, were, were the people we had to kind of pitch our ideas to. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and they were quite, you know, they were a very useful sounding board to everything we were true. trying to do. Do you know what's really nice about working with the Young People's Collective is they had a kind of, um, they had a power in a way. In a way, the V&A because they were working in the, it's the year of the young people and um, they, they, they had a kind of remit almost to work with these young people and, and involve them somehow, the young people had a real power in that room mm. to decide whether or not our ideas were worthwhile, any good, and to kind of put into them. And one of the nice things for, I think, all of us when we presented our initial ideas was that the response we got from the young people was super positive. Mm -hmm. um, and that made it easier for us to kind of move forward. So just to go back to the, the concept, I'm conscious that we didn't really explain how that how oh, right, the Close Encounters concepts <laughs> translated into to the event. Sure. So, so a lot of our work um, is interactive. And that's a huge part of our approach is, is how do we encourage people to participate in the work that we're doing and, and be, be kind of co-creators in some way. And um, and going back to the VNA and their desire to integrate into the into Dundee and and to to be part of the community and that whole approach they've had through the architecture through through their kind of um, outreach programs and all that. So um, we always really respected that and we always really wanted to create this to help that in some way and to to our idea was to create a conversation between the building and the people. 
and so that was the kind of um, idea that if you if you greet someone um, and you you get to know them a little bit um, then the rest should be easier so that the idea of this close encounters thing was like an initial contact between this kind of huge monolithic structure and this um, the people of Dundee it was just a great metaphor because that was one of the original ideas that we had just for the building to talk or sing and I remember in the, in the studio when you we, we were doing the next iteration once we knew some of the parameters and the main the biggest challenge for us was the fact that you know the building is in one place and the crowd and the stage are elsewhere mm. so we were trying to bridge that somehow and I remember you said to me you know oh I thought of something and you shared it with me and I was just like as soon as you said it, I was like, that's it. That is literally it. That's exactly what we've been trying to do. And it's it's communicated in a, in a visual metaphor. Actually, maybe we should talk about the, the inspiration that we got um, independently and collectively from the building itself. I, mean, I think what informed that, the, the start for us was the visual language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in simplest terms, I think the way we saw it to begin with, I think we were all kind of on the similar page here, which was that, that we had to um, we, we had to create some way of tying everything together that was kind of that would would, would make the event an event, and it was like the, the best way of doing that was to look at sort of a, a collective visual language for the, the for how how it would work and how we would both feed into kind of steering yeah. that, and that was kind of a you know like how. I, so the the starting point of that obviously was was look at the building. I mean that's what everybody that's what everybody's done for mm. everything is pretty much you know, it's the building. And so at that point nobody's been inside the building, you know, and and the only thing people have to to really understand it from is what they've seen from the external sort of side of it. And um, you know we were fortunate enough to kind of wander in and out during that time to see some of the bits inside, but you know and kind of help that sort of feed into to what we were thinking. But it was like, how do you make, how do you make something that takes a very complicated shape, very complicated structure, and make it something that can be applied not just a small scale, like in, but but can be used very large as well, large scale sort of style side of things as well. So it's looking at the the architectural lines, the shapes, the bits of uh, facade that were in place, and how how that that worked, and how you could take that essentially. To its simplest form and put it back together again in lots and lots and lots of different ways um, so that you kept a, a feeling that this was you know how how the building might represent itself given its ability to kind of do that um um through 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 us <laughs> um it sounds really pretentious doesn't it <laughs> um but no, you know, not at all it's, it's um it's a deconstruction essentially of what already exists yeah and kind of Taking it down to its its most essential components, and then using them. If this was master if this would be like a deconstructed cheesecake, <laughs> <laughs> made up uh, of lines. <laughs> yeah, um, but but it was that you know it was that ability to 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 have that and 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 also look at how the building reflected itself in water and how it, how it, how the the shapes actually weren't always angular they were sometimes twisting and mm. and how you could incorporate that and and you know like movement you know i remember you guys being very keen on us getting movement into that and how we shape you know to, to play with different ways of 
getting that sort of that, 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 that three dimensions to to the to the works. It wasn't just flat. Because um, I mean, I think that was something that actually getting up close to the building really changed their sort of yeah. viewpoint and opinion on what what the building is made up of. Yeah, actually. it was one thing standing, uh, you know, seeing it from a distance, um, but going underneath it and looking up and yeah. looking at how. What looked like very regimented line structures across the building actually were not, and and, and when you stood underneath and looked up, obviously you get they they, they, they get closer together as well, uh, you know, from your perspective of standing underneath it, they're not mm. all just regimented. So there's there's all these different ways you can view it, and it was kind of it's a fascinating structure. I mean, it's hard to kind of you know talk about it like that unless you've actually stood underneath it or walked around it, you know, and it's um it's how we could how we could do that, how we can interpret that in different ways um and it's and, and and from a graphics point of view how we take things from a screen and make it into something that was physical and that's where sort of light beacons sort of idea came from is how do we how do we take some of that visual language and take it and, and make and make something that can be essentially held above the audience and mm. used and you can view the building through in a different way from the from the crowd and our right. original idea was to use that to turn the crowd around um, right, right, right. Well, I think, I mean, our idea went through a lot of different iterations. Mm. I think we were looking at the physical space in Slessor mm. and we were looking at the objects and things that existed in there that we could then utilise. Um, and I think it came down to logistics a lot of the time and we'd come up with concepts and then we'd have to check with the relevant people. Um, I mean, there's there's these light poles that exist in Slessor Gardens, which are sort of, I don't know, they're sort of... They look like lampposts. Yeah, they're sort of these big silver... Um, uh, objects that sort of thing. and then they've multicolored got, lighting. Yeah, so they have these, I mean, somewhat controllable lighting in the top that is on this. I mean, uh, on a on a, a regular day, they run this sort of cycle of colors that runs through, so it gives a wash to the space. Um, and we, I mean, we were really up for trying to control them and use them as part of the sort of the moment and moving people to look from the stage to the building and mm. use those lights and program them in a way that did that for us. Mm. Um, and then also looking to incorporate some of the visual language in there by adding things to the poles, so potentially stringing things between them. But again, they're not able to be load bearing, so that idea um, had to be sort of scrapped. Um, and then we looked at the trees there, but unfortunately, the, the trees we couldn't really attach anything to them we couldn't create structures around them um all down to sort of health and safety down to the age of the trees the sort of size of the trees the view the like the sight lines from slesser gardens to the building um, so there's just so many restrictions and, that we'd and we couldn't program the lights because nobody knew how they actually worked so they're just a, they're just on a demo mode essentially and yeah. we, we we discovered that so it was i mean that's another difficulty that we came up against and it was sort of us having an idea and iterating and saying okay let's try this and then let's speak to the relevant people. It's like, actually, no, we can't make that work. Or it can't work in the way that we want it to work, so we had to then change it. So there was a, a, a sort of period in time where we were just constantly trying to flip this idea and switch it and change it. Um, but the whole time, trying to tie it to this, this visual language that we were creating. Um, Do you mind if we t talk a little bit more about that visual language? Because I think it, that was um, a really good anchor for all of us. And it reminds me of, of uh, quite early on in the process when... You know, Agency of None and Biome Collective had never worked together before. And we 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 all respected each other's work and we all, you know, we all liked each other as guys. But there was that kind of early, oh, what are those guys over there doing? And, you know, and I was thinking, well, shit, our ideas, you know, those guys are making it look really good. We've got to make ours look better. They kind of come, you know, we, we were kind of sensing each other out in some ways. And I remember that there was a point where it was just like, look, for fuck's sake. Um, you know, we don't really know what's going on. Um, and it was just like, look, 
the okay. building clearly the building clearly has made our job easy in some ways it's mm. such an incredible structure it's got these amazing linear um things going on it's got these incredible angles and shapes and we knew quite early on that we were going to be constrained a lot by the the planes of it um and so we were starting to think in terms of these big panels and what we could do with them and you guys were looking more at the lines in some respects well in some respects anyway mm -hmm. um and i think once we kind of just got on with it and started working together um what came out of it was this really cool series of just very simple shapes and a series of lines that that really kind of took the essence of the building and made it into this really playful uh, toolkit, essentially, of things that we could use in so many different ways. And from and I think one of the reasons why this idea of a visual language was important to all of us was that we could see the scope of um, we could see the scope of it, the scale that it could be it could be worked at. And I think for us, this whole VNA thing, because we're, we're we're local, we got excited, we got kind of caught up in the um, in the occasion, we could see this as it reminded me of Mexico in 1986, <laughs> everywhere like i could see it in, you know in the city hanging on on uh, everywhere um and it could be used in animation it could be used on screens it could be used on print all this kind of stuff and the thing is it could have been you know mm. i think we did a really good job in in and working together as well to create something that could be used in all these different ways and it was just a matter of the constraints of time and everything else that meant that it wasn't but one of the nice things that came out of this was was this almost like template which which captured all of our kind of uh, our, uh, what we wanted to do and you could see it throughout the entire evening and it was articulated in your um beacons not flags uh beacons it was articulated in the lighting on the building it was there on the screens and it was there on the on some of the merch and it's like from from the perspective of someone who likes to think about this big picture and how these different elements are incorporated in it, that was very satisfying for me. You know, seeing the stuff happening on the screens, seeing the bags and T-shirts that people wearing, seeing the, the kind of beacons being moved around and then the lights on the building. That was wicked. We totally did that. So well done, us. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like on a, on a, on a slightly... I think, I think the beacons could have been more... Like incorporated into things than they were because we we you know on on the night the logistics of trying to work with ten thousand audience that were really drunk. crammed in and drunk we had to keep being flexible to the environment and obviously the people holding the beacons as well and like mm. you know, not putting them into situations where where it was maybe you know too difficult or you know it was it was too rowdy or it was you know this so we the, the idea of having these things uh, there. Um, in the way that we probably envisaged using them was, was kind of changed around as well as we as we kind of had to go through things and also because of the logistics of lighting uh, you know we we were we had these sort of uv paint onto this sort of mesh it's kind of what's 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 technically known as a pepper's ghost you know it's like a, a hologram that appears in the in the air 
um, and try and trying to 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 get the light to hit them right, um, given sort of again time frames and 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 um, you know uh, the lighting guys being probably a little bit more focused on the building, <laughs> um, that, that we, we we had to kind of adjust things a little bit to that as well. I mean, I think the original concept was that we would create ten objects that would exist in the crowd, um, and then. I mean, there was an interaction between the, so the stage and the building and these objects or these beacons that we created in the crowd would then act to sort of transfer that message between the two and show a sort of visual representation of that that would help the crowd turn round. Mm. So the idea was that these beacons would light up, that we'd use the UV to then light the pattern on them um, in sequence as that moved through the crowd. Um, but as we got closer to the fact, closer to the night, it, it just sort of came out that that wasn't quite going to be possible the way that we imagined it. Mm. Um, and so these objects just had to exist in the crowd in a way that looked great. But they did look good. They did look really good because, um, you know, Man and I were outside in, at the, in the lighting stage, which is actually outside Celeste Gardens. And every now and then we'd come in <clears throat> just to see what was going on and get a, a feel for it. And the beacons did look really good. They were They were like... Um, they're quite subtle in ways, but then when you saw them, they were quite hypnotic, and you know, you you, you definitely noticed them. Well, the idea was to kind of you know kind of work with a slight illusion effect of like, well, how do you get these things up in the air? And you know, there's a lot there's a lot of effort in going in from our side to how you actually do that and how you create all the shapes. And that was a lot of our design process beyond the visual language stuff was actually how the heck do you do you, you create a sort of floating shape in the air with mm. all the stuff that using EL wire mm. and how do you keep it tight enough and how do you build a frame for it to go into? And yeah, that was really cool. I mean, from from outside, I think one of the things that helped drive us was every now and then seeing what you guys were up to. And um, one of the things that was really cool about your approach is that you just took it in hand. You just, you you had your the ideas that you wanted to do and you just found the suppliers, found the manufacturers, got in touch with people. You know, you, you, you kind of set it all up um, and I saw that in, as quite a big contrast to what we were doing because we were very reliant on the organisers to put us in touch with the right people. We we, we were doing less things, but it was uh, more removed from us. Mm-hmm. And you guys just totally took it in hand and, and did your own thing, which was which was great. And so from our perspective, um, seeing seeing you know you watch seeing these tests that you do every now and then that was really cool for us because it, it gave us something um, solid to to look at from from what, what you were doing which helped us to feel like yeah these guys are these guys are on track as well but going back to the 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 idea of you know you were talking about you wanted to have this wave of lights going to and from the building um in a way i felt like that was too complicated even even at the time i was interested to see if it was, wor- was working but it also it also brought up the difference between um visual design and sound design because i knew that if we it's very difficult to do something like that visually because you're you're expecting people to 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 direct their eyes and that's that's a big ask unless you've got like a, uh, unless you've got a lot of light and a mm. lot of control over that whereas with your ears it's totally directional you can you can hear something behind you um and so i knew that as long as we got the kind of sound component working for this kind of movement of people from one place to the other then we that would be a simpler way of doing it um but having said that it would be nice to have combined them both 
Um, but at the time, and I think that comes back to the color palette, actually, the, the, cons- the more constraints we had, I think the better we, we, we were in some ways, because when you're operating at that scale with that many people, um, complication just doesn't work. It just, you, you, you know, nuance and subtlety is not going to cut it. You know, you have to be really clear, really straightforward, um, because there's there are so many variables when you when you involve hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of people. That you have, you have to be really simple. We also maybe, it would be good to explain the sort of structure that, I mean, we worked in um, logistically. So we, obviously the, the V&A are creating this event and they've brought in, DF concerts to to produce that and and deal with a lot of the logistics and the the site management and like everything from food to the toilets to actually getting the acts on stage and doing all the sound and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and then we've got us, us guys collaborating, and then you've also got the lighting company that you guys were working with. And then you've got the guys that did the sound, and then you've got the BBC who are in filming it. So there's a lot of people with a lot of different vested interests trying to make their bit happen. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those things clashed. And sometimes it was like, oh, well, we might not be able to do that. But, but. And it was sort of, there was a lot of that going on because there's just so many things to get right mm. in order to make this thing happen. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that's why, you know, even in simplicity, and we, you know, we all know this anyway, but even when you're trying to keep things simple, it can get complicated. Mm. So when you're trying to keep things simpler, there are that many different components all operating, like you said, in their own, with their own interests at, at heart. Um, it, it can get out of hand really quickly. I think one of the, uh, the flip side of that, though, um, from from my perspective, is that when you do have a good team, um, and everybody uh, everybody is committed to make it the best their their part the best it can be, that generally means that everybody's on the same page actually, and um, that you're all actually working to the same end point. But I think that's where the clarity of communication really comes in, mm-hmm. um, and and that's not always easy. I guess, like looking beyond that again, and and how how the event was, and and even the bigger sort of wider opening and launch of the whole VNA, it's kind of like for me, it's kind of made me think a lot again about a topic that I've kind of gone on about sometimes periodically. I've kind of talked about it, chat about it, and I think it kind of came up in our collaboration as well, and it was kind of the sort of idea of 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 of, of art and design, and obviously. We're, we're celebrating the opening of a of a new design museum and a lot of like a, a lot of the media coverage around it has talked about how good it'll be for artists and you know and and i i kind of i always kind of worry that 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 design and art get mixed up into the same thing and to a lot of people they don't know what the difference between them is and then i sometimes think does it matter that you know does it matter that nobody understands and then then you start realizing you're working with clients and things and they don't understand what design is and they think it's art and you know and then then it starts to really matter and you think well you know that this is this is you know it's a difficult it's, it's a difficult process to kind of let people understand what what that is and i kind of just wondered what like it's part of what we're doing this podcast about is kind of understanding is is looking into design and kind of looking into what it is and what it means currently and i kind of wondered what your take on all of that was from what we went through that was a really long fucking winded way well, um, to be honest i think you need a long winded um question for what i hope to be a very short answer from mel <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, yeah, so me and Lana have had this conversation a few times. 
I'm certainly in the camp of uh, mixing things up. I mean, even myself as a as a maker, creative designer or artist, I kind of wear these hats all the time. And a lot of my disciplines are very interchangeable. If I focus on what what we created for for the V&A Dundee opening, grand opening, the, the kind of hello world moment was a, a well-designed uh, piece of art in some respects. There was a lot of design that went into that to try and um, solve that problem, how you create a moment, how you get the building to be an important integral part of this evening, etc. But that was done through quite an artistic way. I think the the conversation and the, the sound composition, etc., and the building coming together. That was that was a, that was art in its own right, I think. Uh, so in that in, in that sense, for me, these things definitely collide and definitely kind of um, yeah, they bounce off each other. Um, and I think the way I work, that I guess I, I work in quite a fluid way, and it's quite easy for me to do that because of. Um, I think the games angle, because in games, there's so much going on that you're you're dipping in and out of different disciplines all the time. So, and I am very comfortable in that in that quite fluid position, but I can totally appreciate that. You know, I think it was it was put quite nicely earlier. Of, you know, will would a piece of art go into the you know to the into V&A Dundee, or, and and would design go into the DCA in Dundee? That was quite an interesting question. Um, and what mo- that made me think of, recently there was, um, I think it was two or three shows ago at the DCA, there was, um, there was a, I, can't, I can't remember the, the name of the artist, but she she created some nice graphic design, as far as I could tell. And when I connect, walked in and I, I looked at some nice fonts, some nice colors, and to me it was very, very graphic design. And I really liked it because it was that. I'm not sure if I fully appreciate the artistic intent, but that's certainly what I connected with at the time. So um, I'm not sure that helps <laughs> at all. No, it's actually <laughs> it's good. It's it's funny um, just to touch on that that show at the DCA. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of people really enjoyed that from the the artistic's perspective. Um, but when you're looking at that with a more technical graphics eye, um, some of the elements of the kernel and things like that were terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and anyone coming from that perspective could see that okay, the gaps between the letters really aren't even there i mean that is that deliberate mm-hmm. and then you sort of started to question it from that angle and like the that but that's because i feel like i've got a very technical and design driven eye yeah um and i, f- I yeah i found that i found that a very hard show to go into and, and view and i didn't know if that was the intention either is mm-hmm. it was it to to you know to, to do e fowler by the way was was the name of the artist that i mean that was about. the intention surely because you could see that throughout. I would like to have gone to the artist um, talk um, and, and 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 found out more because uh, because it, it 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 just um, yeah you know like I think like this is a really it's a really interesting point because like one of the things I think that separates art and design in its in in, in its discipline sense is rules and mm. I think essentially in, in sort of postmodern art world there's as a want to lose rules entirely and. and 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 just be free to be artists, and I, I I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it. And I think in design you have to work to rules uh, because they, they, even if you break the rules, there's still rules you just cannot break. You know, in in a lot of different in disciplines, depending on what thing you're doing. Um, and in typography, it would be kerning, and you know you couldn't you can't not 
look at your type and how you kern it or you spacing, line spacing, leading, as it's technically called. Um, Is it leading, not leading? It's leading because it's, mm. it's to do with when the printers used to insert blocks of lead between the lines right. uh, to space them. Oh, I've uh, learned something today. Educational. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah so it's... It's, it's these sort of rules. Although, you know, for everybody you say, every time you say that there's a rule that you can't break, there'll be somebody that says, well, you know, look at such and such who, you know, like I always remember um, there was a, um, was it David Carson or was it, they did a lit ray gun magazine or was it the other one that I always forget the name of? Um, and basically they did a whole interview with, an, with a, a musician whose name I've forgotten as well. Uh, look up in the show notes. Um, and, um, you know, they, they, like, they, would, they would break the type rules a lot in, in this magazine and ray gun. They would, they would just completely throw rules out the window. And one of the interviews was so boring with one of the musicians that they set the whole thing in dingbats. Um, so the only way to understand it would be to probably be able to get a digital version, select all the text and, and convert it into another typeface. Um, Which I think is awesome. Yeah, you know, so there's, but but that kind of, that in itself is kind of design morphing into art, you know, so it's it's kind of making you question things and it's, 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 it's throwing that rule book out of the window. And I think design and art are two disciplines that you can, that an individual can embody and you can, you can be a standing, like for me, it's not, they, they, they these, these two things are quite different. But they don't. It's the confusion that design is art um, that um, concerned because it's it's it, it's not, and it happens more that way than the other way. I think it's not often that people say art is is, is design. But mm. I mean, language, um, and I and I I don't really have a problem with with. Um, I thought that was a really good way to describe a lot of the stuff that is happening in the world, and I mean. I've got, I guess I've got a question for you guys. Like, how old do you think design? Sort of. But I guess I'm not talking about the term. I'm talking about design itself. Oh, I mean, design itself has been going for 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 millennium. I mean, this is you know since we since we started creating wheels, <laughs> you know, tools, yeah, tools, yeah, right, anything right. like that. Yeah. So you so you you guys see design as um, tool making. It's in, a process of solving in problems uh, in, yeah. in, in in its simplest term. I mean, it's 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 like how do we how do we uh, um, catch that animal quicker uh okay you know we could we could you know, invent a spear <laughs> you know that design a solution design a solution to it. um it's been going for a long time but it's it's only recently been termed as, as what it is and it's and it's it's a handy way of i guess in, in in a really horrible way it's a handy way of boxing in what it is you do yeah. and saying right this is this is what it is but but it's it's also i mean design has its has its history in art you know like like I, I would say a lot of old a lot of a lot of artists uh you know from from before some modernism were in some ways designers you know they were often doing things to briefs and doing things to spec to and and, and uh also thinking about how you solve problems i mean i do think it's interesting that um design is often thought of as something that is responding to a brief uh or a specification uh solving problems and I think that that is definitely some of what design is. Um, I guess I'm just, I, I don't see it as that's all it is. Um, personally, I guess I feel like a lot, of the, a lot of where I decide whether I'm more artist or designer depends on the funding uh, form. And <laughs> like, because I feel like 
there me personally i i feel like i i approach things with a design um thinking and artistic thinking and even then it's it's a loose use of the words and i you know because i think when i you know that old question what is art and no one can ever really pin it down and i think people feel like design is a lot easier to pin down and and for me it's just not it's a lot more uh what's the word you use? fluid maybe um it's it's not so defined and i think one thing that you i hear a lot from people when they talk about design is they like to think of it as a incredibly clearly designed uh, defined thing as if definition and des- as, as if as if um the word design needs to define itself and be super defined and i don't know if that makes any sense but like, I've, to me it's it's not it's, it's not it's still not very... that important i don't know i don't know what the I, I mean yeah i guess i don't really have an answer of what is design and i think of that as a, as, <coughs> as big a question as what is art it's they are they're just different words to describe different parts of the human experience <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's um you know, we, you know, we use use art. We will use art in what we do, and and and, and it often it comes down to what the what it is you're actually producing at the end. Whether it's you know, like like you say, clearly a nicely designed piece of art. And I think you can use design within the process of creating art, and you'll use art within the process of creating design. And if mm. you're if if what you're doing is fundamentally solving a problem and and providing a solution mm. to something, then you're you're creating your final output is is a design output. And if you're if your if your output is trying to make people think differently about something, or have a, an emotional sort of connection reaction to it, then it's probably more of an art based. But I, I I can't see how you can decouple that. Like when you're when you're designing something or you're creating something. The fact that you give a damn about the kerning in a font means that you care deeply about the emotional reaction it would have mm. within yourself, let alone someone else. And and as you know, that kind of frustrating thing where you know that a lot of people wouldn't even notice, but you care so much that you're doing it for them. To well, you're arguing about it, yeah. I mean, you are, you're also doing it kind of for yourself. yourself. Too. Yes, I know, exactly, yeah. But then is it... Um, I would argue that the design is is more functional than emotional necessarily so the reason that the kernel would be good is because aesthetically that looks better and it would convey the message much more clearly um, and much better yeah but that's um, if you want to communicate that message mm-hmm. so like so mm-hmm. for me that dca show the communication was that kind of when you look closer it's like what's going on here and i kind of in a way did you guys see shonky yes mm-hmm. show? so in a way for me that did a very similar job with art right mm-hmm. And for me, that was a well-curated, a well-designed, I say curation is design, a well-designed collection of artwork that also evoked very similar reactions to me. Because I walked in and I was like, ugh. And it was throughout, and I walked away thinking, oh my God, that person did such an amazing job because they made me feel uncomfortable throughout the whole thing. And there was a consistency to my uncomfortableness. And to me, that was, the, the in that sense, the design of it. Mm-hmm. And... And that was at art show. But that's yeah, but and that's it. But it's 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 you can have you can use design in art and vice versa. And yeah. I think designing an exhibition or designing an art show, you're putting a lot of thought into that. You actually are solving a, a weird sort of problem. It's like how do you make somebody feel awkward about something that yeah. they, they 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 normally walk into and not get that from. So you're yeah. and, and that side of it maybe is not as appreciated because normally you know 
most design tends to be for good, trying mm. to make something you know good and better and improve it, and and a very kind of traditional linear sense. Whereas sometimes in art, it's it's, a, it's much easier with art to go down an emotional path and actually make someone feel horrible or terrible, and that is what you're trying to evoke. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think sometimes in design, that's a bigger challenge. Um, it's, it's I think like, only the only reason why it's a bigger challenge is because um, of how people perceive design. Yeah. Not in design oh, yeah, totally. And like just going back on the functionality side of it, I think it's really tempting to see um, design as more kind of logical and functional and 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 all this as and and art as something which is oh can't be you know it's airy and fairy and and thinking and wondering. Whereas actually, if you look at most art no matter how you produce the artwork and whether it's good or not there's a technical and function there are technical and functional aspects to it even in terms of uh, tooling and what tools you're using what materials you're using how you manipulate those two and so there's a hugely functional aspect of um all creative output so is art's function to convey a message or to to try and convey an idea or a concept and that is art's function but design's function is it's different from that. Dude, do you know what? It's up to you. The, <laughs> and, the, and the problem is, it really is. And the problem is, is that we're all different people. We've all got different experiences. And, and so the, the problem is how we communicate it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, when, I look at the, when I look at what we, we all did, okay, when I look at the V&A event night, we all have different approaches to it. Even the people at DF and the VNA and and the bands, everyone had a different approach. But we all came together to create one thing, and so it's almost like, God, this is a terrible metaphor, but it's almost like it doesn't matter which way you come into the the. Um, it doesn't matter which perspective you come into something; it still exists as that thing to all of you. But the, the, okay. thing, the thing that right, the thing that really interests me, going back to what you're saying about design, does design basis, you know, has design got a place in an art gallery, and does art have a place in a design gallery? Um, I, I kind of the thing with design that always bothers me is that I don't think design ever gets itself exhibited well, and I think design to me is more about the process of what you go through to to do it rather than the final object. Uh, so so what actually happens is that people exhibit design like it's art so they exhibit it like final pieces mm. uh, that are there to to create an emotional response uh, but actually what you really want to do in a design gallery is exhibit the process well that's uh, a really good point actually uh, that really reminds me of uh, when i was studying at Abitay, and uh, at the end of every year there was a graduate show and they'd have all these video games that people had made by themselves a lot of the time in their room on a computer and they'd made this thing to be played by someone, probably by themselves on a computer at home. And they would try and, and display it as if it was a gallery, right? And the problem was not that computer games can't be displayed like that. It's just that up, up until very recently, most people, when they're making a video game, don't think about how it's going to be experienced uh, in a setting like that. Mm -hmm. they, they think about how it's going to be experienced from the perspective of making it. So... I think design can 100% be uh, exhibited in a gallery, but a lot of the, what people call design isn't built for that. So in that sense, um, it's a kind of, it's just an inappropriate way of displaying. So I think displaying the process is a fantastic idea. And that 
that brings us to kind of Mal and I are constantly trying to document our process because we know that beyond the the thing that we've made, most people aren't going to know aren't going to be able to engage with it aren't going to be able to understand what the hell we've done and unless they're experiencing it in the way that it's supposed to be experienced it's irrelevant to them so this idea of documentation and documenting process and displaying process and appreciating process and sharing process is absolutely um a brilliant approach to to kind of sharing this kind of um the stuff that we make but i think it's, it's inherently a difficult thing to do because it is unfinished so your process is not the polished item that you're striving to create throughout. You mean it's more like an artistic expression? <laughs> Potentially, if you wanted to see it like that. <laughs> but I mean, that, I mean, that's it. We find it difficult to show process, I think. There's one reason why we find it difficult to show process is that it is a bit ugly and a bit unfinished. And, and you're scared sketches. of exposing your, your, your... Yeah, there's that as well, thinking. absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and like, I, I saw, you know, I saw somebody put a page of their sketchbook from a, a brand design thing on a website I was looking at the other day and um, you know it, it was really interesting I found it fascinating to see somebody else's thoughts but actually it looked it made it look really basic and very simple what they did mm. um, which is probably not not what it was but I just want to go back quickly to the video game thing because that's a really is a really interesting it's, a, it's something I've like I'm a massive fan of video games and I've whenever I see a video game exhibition on I'll generally go to it I'll, and, I've, I, and I, every time I go to one I always go in there and hope that this one will, will be the one I'll go like this is how you should exhibit mm. this because I think yeah. video games are really important a really important creative form that you nearly said art form well I mean that's another debate but let's not get into that just now <laughs> the, the, the um, you know it's how you, how you exhibit that process again Absolutely. or how you go about making videos so, you know, I read magazines and websites and I see when I was younger as well I used to really, when, when things were harder to get hold of, used to like pour over process stuff of how they were going about, you know, people would be like, this is you know, the stage it's up to and you would mm. get all that information about mm. a game. And whenever you go and see games exhibited now in, in galleries and as they've done, I've been to, I've been to them in Berlin and I've been to them in Edinburgh and I've been to them in different parts yeah. of the world and they always exhibit the same thing. They always just like go, right, let's get a collection of games from, you know, maybe a particular period or a particular thing or just ones that are seminal games. Let's set them up in a gallery environment. Mm. Let's let people play them. Mm. Let's maybe pin some bits around them that that explain some stuff. And there's no sort of like... like I there's no like, love well, and I would, appreciation see, for what it actually is. <laughs> yeah, one of my favourite games of all time is Street Fighter. Like, I love Street Fighter. Um, and it's a, a Street Fighter 2 to be more precise and the ones that came after it. I loved the art style of the, 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 the game and I loved the, the way it went and I loved the, 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 the sort of humour and the, the backgrounds and mm. the stuff that they went into that. And I would like to see that just... And I know that Capcom, who made it, have art books and you can go and buy those and it shows mm. you all the, st the, the process that they went through. You know, I'm saying art, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's... Uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of design in there. And um, the... Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that sort of extrapolated from 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 that in, into a gallery environment. I'd like to walk into an exhibition mm. that was about Street Fighter, and it was literally all about Street Fighter, and you you could really understand. And I think it would help people who don't get video games to understand what goes into making a video game and how this whole process works. Yeah. And and I I just I just look forward to an exhibition one day, which will just pick on a game or a type of game and really explore it properly. I think that's really interesting because what you're talking about there is 
again it's like a deconstruction of the thing so and and a display of the component parts almost so that you can create a different understand a better understanding of it um the the way something that we experienced quite recently well i certainly experienced quite re fairly recently was um mal and i w went to gdc europe the games developer conference in europe we were there to talk about our video game killbox and killbox was created with the intention of being shared in an exhibition space so it was created for installation in an exhibition space and that had a, a, a big effect on the design of the entire game and the approach that we took and how we were going to uh, you know the timing of it um, and how people were positioned all that kind of thing and we went to uh, GDC and did our talk and um, found ourselves going to something called the Not Games Exhibition, which was, we'd heard it was a kind of exhibition of indie games. And up until that point, I'd never seen a good exhibition of, uh, of video games. It'd been the same kind of thing, like screens in a space, completely decontextualized, mm. just kind of pointless and annoying, if anything else. It makes them look worse than they are. And, um, and this place was completely different. They had cu curated um, an, a really, really good space, um, can be difficult to describe but they basically they created in, uh, spaces for you to relax sit down and play a video game in, engage with a video game in a, a kind of exhibition setting but somehow created that that comfortable safe video game playing kind of experience and it went from the lighting they'd used they'd had this incredible stuff on the walls that made you feel like you're in a kind of contemporary mind space that uh, was really, really nicely done. And from then we went to uh, Amaze. And from Amaze is a Berlin uh, video games, uh, independent video games uh, exhibition or festival, actually. And that was amazing because there were a lot of games there that were, again, they were created to be experienced in an exhibition setting or a festival setting. They'd been, that was their intention. And so they worked much better in that kind of space. And so I think um, one of the things that we, we do and we're really keen on is kind of sharing that the the games process and what is amazing about games um in on non-screen situations because yeah, yeah. screens are not, uh, not that good a way of conveying stuff yeah. in, a, in yeah. a gallery environment yeah mm -hmm. so so for, for example one of our first games is uh, other that you play on your your phone but you play it all through your ears and you play it by walking around a real city. I mean, we actually, you know, we actually connect you to that city more than more than um, I can't think of another way to do it. In a way, you're kind of engaged visually and physically in a city, but you're playing a game through your ears. It's kind of a really cool experience. And a lot of our games are designed with the intention of of being played and experienced off the screen and in new spaces. And I think that's why, um, you know, there's this. There's, in terms of exhibition, how do you experience and, and exhibit something? It has to be either deconstructed in the way you're talking about or designed with that with that space in mind. And I think as we move forward, both design and games and all these kind of, you know, bubble worlds, um, there is a more crossover happening. And I think, you know, the V&A thing is a really good example. If I, if I look at the work that Agency of None did there that's kind of design bleeding into a kind of cultural space and a, and a cultural event um the same with biome stuff it's kind of it's connecting like you know using light and sound it's connecting a building to people so i think we knew that we were going to do that from the start and that helped inform our process and that's the kind of thing as time goes on that i feel you know designing a museum 
will be completely relevant. Design on the streets, completely relevant. It's just a, it's just a matter of where we are in our society and our thinking of what a design is, what art is, where it should be experienced. And, and personally, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities for, for bleed, for, for um, blending, and for bringing weird different things together and creating new stuff. I think that's a exci- the exciting thing is the crossover stuff. And I know I'm trying to separate out and say, well, this is art and this is design. Um, and I, I think it's important that, that it's understood as what those things are and what, what they bring individually to potentially collaborating and creating other things. Cool. Um, I think we'll probably just wrap it up there. Um, so... I mean, before we do that, um, I'll put the, the, the link to the Behance project that shows the sort of the, the outputs and some of the process. Yeah, so, I mean, if uh, people listening want to find out more about you guys, Biome Collective, where do they find you? Biomecollective.com. I think it's probably the most busy place. Yeah, um, if you want to have a conversation, just get, yeah, at Twitter's the place, at Biome Collective. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Spot in time. <laughs> Anticipation. Uh, yeah. Well, um, thanks very much to Mao and Tom uh, for coming on and sitting in our bunker and having a chat. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, this is one of the things we'd we'd love to continue the discussion. Um, if there's anything that sort of you want to have an opinion on. Um, you can get us at, at Agency of None on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, and let us know. And as we said, this episode is sort of broken into two, so we're at the midway point, I suppose. Um, so you'll need to go and listen to the next episode to get the the full story. Mm-hmm.